You're listening to Beltway Beef, official commentary from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association's Washington, D.C. office. Well, hello and welcome back to another episode of NCBA's Beltway Beef podcast. And today we're joined by NCBA's Chief Counsel, Mary Thomas Hart, for an update on the latest WOTUS revision that's coming out of the Environmental Protection Agency, or EPA. Mary Thomas, uh, what's the latest with this revised WOTUS rule? So earlier this week, EPA finalized a rule um, to apply the holding from the Supreme Court Sackett decision. As the listeners will remember, I'm sure um, earlier this year, we got an extremely favorable unanimous decision from the Supreme Court in the case Sackett versus EPA. And that holding essentially um, eliminated the significant nexus test. So federal agencies can no longer use that standard to determine which features are jurisdictional under the Clean Water Act. So that required EPA to take its rule, its WOTUS definition back to the drawing board. They did that and yesterday finalized a rule um, that eliminates all references to both the significant nexus test and jurisdiction of similarly situated waters. Um, So in sum, a much more narrow WOTUS definition um, that will be a lot easier for landowners across the country to apply. So what are some of the differences that folks are going to see in this revised rule versus what the Biden administration put out earlier in the year? Great question. So the only features that are jurisdictional as waters of the U.S. are traditional navigable waters and features with a continuous surface connection to those features or a relative permanent surface connection um, to those traditional navigable waters. Um, Again, a a significantly limited pool of of water features that are federally jurisdictional now. A lot of those regional isolated features like prairie potholes and playa lakes, um, those are no longer explicitly included as jurisdictional waters. Um, Additionally, isolated like stock ponds and features like that on on agricultural land um, won't be considered jurisdictional. Um, Ephemeral features are likely not going to be considered jurisdictional. Um, We still need to receive some clarity from EPA to that regard, and and we hope to receive that through some future guidance documents or or rulemakings. Um, But in its current form, ephemeral features are not explicitly included as jurisdictional. Um, I would recommend that listeners talk to, you know, local NRCS staff or extension staff, but you should have a lot of additional flexibility to effectively manage those ephemeral features. So I know the federal rulemaking process is pretty complicated. So what is actually the law of the land today? Did this rule take immediate effect this week? It certainly, it it was published in the federal register. Um, I'm actually not sure what the effective date is, But, you know, I think it's important to note that we have 27 states who are not subject to the Biden administration's WOTUS definition. Um, So technically speaking, there is a bit of a checkerboard. Um, Not every state is subject to this rule and this new update. But EPA has made very clear that the states that are not subject to the Biden rule are subject to the pre-2015 WOTUS definition with the SACID opinion applied. And in practice, those two look nearly identical. So I would say regardless of where you are in the country, you have agricultural exemptions from WOTUS for um, features like stock ponds and prior converted cropland, which is hugely important. But you also don't have to worry about other isolated features. Your ephemeral features are going to be largely safe from federal regulation. And I think that, you know, overall, you're going to see a reversion of 
Clean Water Act implementation returned to the states, put states back in the driver's seat, and that's exactly where we want to see it. So we've talked a lot about WOTUS in the courts this year. There's been a lot of stuff happening at the district court level, at the Supreme Court level with Sackett. Could you just recap some of NCBA's legal efforts and the different things we were involved in as an association? Great question. So when the Biden administration finalized its rule earlier this year, NCBA and a coalition of other trade associations immediately sued the Biden administration, and we were active in litigation in three different courts. Um, while we were you know, in that process, the Supreme Court issued its decision in the Sackett case. NCBA, separately from our litigation on the Biden administration's WOTUS definition, um, submitted an amicus brief to the Supreme court in the Sackett case. And in that opinion, um, the the court, the majority of the court actually adopted some of the arguments that NCBA included in its amicus brief. So that was very exciting. Um, we're certainly giving this, this new updated rule a, a close read to see if there's any immediate legal action necessary. Um, and that decision will, will be forthcoming. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's always say it's always nice to know that you know if if EPA were to take a misstep at some point in the future we have litigation as a, a backstop right to make sure that we can put EPA back on the correct path um, whether that's future rulemakings to define some of these terms like continuous surface connection relative permanence and in interstate waters or if EPA were to reach beyond the limits of the Clean Water Act in an enforcement action NCBA would always be at the ready um, and could participate in litigation to, to correct course. So I know you wrote that amicus brief that went up to the Supreme Court, which is awesome. And it's really neat to see NCBA have an involvement in the highest court in the land here in the U.S. So uh, talk a little bit about what our arguments were in that brief and why it's significant to be involved that way. Thanks. Yeah. Um, great question. We we made a few substantive arguments. The one that, you know, I think was most notably picked up by the Supreme Court um, was our argument, not only that the, the significant nexus standard violates the Clean Water Act, but that it also is a violation of landowners' due process rights under the U.S. Constitution um, because the Clean Water Act, because violation of the Clean Water Act carries criminal punishment with it, that means that people subject to the Clean Water Act um, have constitutional due process rights that need to be respected. And because a landowner under the significant nexus test wasn't able to go out and clearly determine if a feature on their land would be subject to the Clean Water Act, there was no way to know if they were violating the Clean Water Act. That's a constitutional violation, and the Supreme Court acknowledged that. So going back to the rule that's uh, new this week, uh, what are the next steps? What should we expect from EPA and how can producers learn more about what's going on? We certainly expect additional guidance and and potentially rulemakings from EPA. As I mentioned earlier, there are, I would say, uh, pre three very important terms in this rule that have yet to be clearly defined in regulatory text. So there's been some preamble language on them, but, but it would be really nice to get a regulatory definition of 
continuous surface connection, relative permanence, and interstate water. So we'll work with EPA. Um, we will urge them to, to conduct those rulemakings or develop that guidance in, a, in an expedient manner. Um, but cer- certainly more to come. Um, but I, I do think that this is a really positive development and is, is a lot of progress toward getting some finality in the WOTUS space. Well, Mary Thomas, thanks so much for the update today. Thanks for having me. This has been another episode of Beltway Beat. Don't forget to check us out online at policy.ncba.org or catch the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from, including SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts.